Reading from Isaiah 53, starting with verse 4 in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We are we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Some of the great, uh, some of the great foundations and bases of our faith is uh, factual. And uh, it's great to have a faith that is based on facts and uh, not just, uh, I hope it's true, but uh, real, solid, evidentiary-type things. And uh, I just saw one, uh, one on the Internet and uh, in the news this week, um, a professor writing how he uh, thinks evolution, there's no way it could possibly be true and based on mathematics. And uh, so he doesn't, he doesn't believe in God, but he sure, sure doesn't believe in evolution. Something else must have happened for us to have a world full of incredible creatures. Uh, one of the things that bolsters our faith, factual, is that we have a Bible, a collection of writings, written over many centuries, of at least a millennia, over a thousand years, uh, maybe as much as 1,500 years, and yet uh, all speaks to the same things. And in fact, uh, we believe all of those things center down in the person of Jesus Christ, and he is the key really to unlocking all of them. And uh, one of those key scriptures that uh, you can see this is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, which speaks of a suffering servant. And you wonder, who is this suffering servant who takes upon him the sin of the people and brings healing to the people? What is that talking about? And, uh, of course, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Only he could fulfill that scripture and uh, that we believe it's a prophecy. And uh, many things like that show us Christianity is not something that's made up. It's something that comes from a divine source. It is supernatural in origin. And uh, this is one of those beautiful texts 
that tells us deeply about our faith, about what has happened to our sin, what Jesus Christ means to our sin and to us, and uh, how God effected our salvation. Just a beautiful passage. Um, we looked at chapter 52, verse 13 through 53, 3 last week. Today we're just going to cover three verses, verses 4 through 6. Go to the next slide, Lynn. Just an outline. Uh, you will notice uh, a weird little structure, A, B, C, B prime, A prime. Uh, this is a chiastic structure where the, uh, the ideas are folding back on themselves. A and A are very similar ideas, B and B. And C is supposed to be the highlight. That's the center of this poem. Uh, verses 4 through 6. So today we're looking at what is the center of uh, this poem uh, of 15 stanzas, 15 verses. Go to the next slide. Same thing. Go to the next slide, Lynn. Uh, so here are, the five, here are those five stanzas. Uh, the first one we looked at last week, the suffering of the servant leads to glory. He becomes exalted and highly lifted up. Secondly, the suffering is offensive. And so he begins out, who has believed our report? And we hide our faces from him, and we hide our faces from his suffering. The suffering's offensive. We don't like it. In fact, people don't believe it. And we talked about that last week. At the foot of the cross, how many people were standing there thinking this is the greatest thing in the world? Nobody was thinking that. Because they did not get God's message. And they did not believe it. Um, the, su the suffering is offensive. Thirdly, the suffering is vicarious or substitutionary. So what happens to someone else has benefit to me. The suffering is vicarious. As I mentioned earlier, Victor, Victor Hodges is here today. He has a first name, Victor. Victor is a substitute. <laughs> so thank you, substitute, for being here. <laughs> he was the pastor at Trinity Anglican down the street and retired in December. How is Phoenix? <laughs> so the suffering is vicarious uh, in place of someone else and yet beneficial to me. The suffering is accepted. The Lord sees the travail of his soul and is satisfied. And the suffering is efficacious. It's effective. It's helpful. Okay, but today we're looking at that middle one. The suffering is vicarious. So is that what the scripture is saying? Is it really saying the servant is suffering for me and it helps me? And I think you'll say that's what it's saying. Go to the next slide, Lynn. Okay, next slide. Next slide. So this is what we're going to be looking at. The suffering of the servant is vicarious, or he is our substitute, or the suffering benefits us. Next slide. So Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. 
So poetry, you got to slow down, break down the figures of speech, and uh, enjoy the figures of speech. So first of all, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. The picture is of someone lifting up a burden and putting it on their back and carrying them. But not carrying their own burden, they're lifting it for someone else. Um, I told you I was in Algonquin Park for seven days carrying 50 pounds on my back, and I was hurting. And my daughter was doing much better than I was. Now, I think it's just because she's in her 20s, and I'm in my 50s. Plus, she's in better shape. But So uh, I was hurting, and I was complaining. And so every day, we would eat some food, and then we would take food out of my pack and put it into the hers. So that by the end of the week, she was carrying all the food, and I, I was carrying no food. And that was at least 10 pounds. And uh, so she was carrying my, 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 my burden and helping me out. And that's what this is saying. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Notice he's picking up sicknesses and sorrows. Sicknesses and sorrows taking the load off of us to give us help. Um, I think the sicknesses and sorrows might be a figure of speech for themselves. He's not just carrying our problems. He's actually carrying the things that caused our problems. And you're going to see that in a second. So the infirmities and the sorrows are a figure of speech for not only is he carrying all of the difficulties that we've got, He's actually taking the things that cause those difficulties. Quite a thing to have someone else pick up your diseases. To carry them. Something to have someone else pick up your sins. The things that cause your diseases. And carry them. And yet when we saw that, notice what he says. We considered him stricken by God smitten by God and afflicted. We see the servant carrying sins and burdens and diseases and we think God hates them. He's terrible. He's a bad person. He can't be a great person because he would not have all of those problems. So as they as 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 uh well, let me put it this way. don't know what I was going to say there. Here's the funny thing. They look at the servant and they go, God must hate the servant and he must have done something really bad because look at all the problems he has. But really, we're seeing our own problems. It's really our problems that have caused this. This is a beautiful description of the cross. Beautiful. Jesus was put on the cross and killed because he was a criminal. And I know how you view criminals. Just think of a criminal condemned to 25 years to life in one of our prisons. You would think, hey, that's a bad person. He's not a good person. 
He's done something really bad. That was the view of Jesus. He's got these problems and he's dying because he really is a problem. And he's a problem maker. Of course, people walked by the cross and they mocked him for being there and made fun of him. And the funny thing is, is he's there because of their sin. That's why he's there, because of their mocking. Because, because of their, their problems, that's why he is there. Two times the New Testament quotes this passage. One time it's with regard to Jesus healing people. Here's what it says, Matthew 8. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. He drove out the spirits with the word. He healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. But Peter takes it a step further when he quotes this passage. Peter puts it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Go to the next slide, Lynn. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Notice again the poetry. Pierced and crushed. Pierced, stabbed with a spear or with a sword. Crushed, a rock has fallen on him and pulverized him. Why? Our transgressions. Our iniquities. Together he's showing the suffering is serious and major. doesn't just break his arm or dislocate his shoulder or go a day without food. Crushed for our transgressions, pierced for our transgressions, and crushed for our, our iniquities. There have been so many times in the past few years that someone has been released from prison, having suffered, been in prison for something they did not do, famous one in Canada, David Milgard. 23 years served for rape and murder. And yet, he didn't do it. In fact, uh, they eventually found uh, the DNA of the person who did it. And uh, he'd actually committed many more rapes after uh, Milgard was in prison. For 23 years, crushed for someone else's sins, eventually released. Uh, one of the ones uh, I read about was in California. A man was sentenced to life for killing his ex-wife and child. Served 40 years in jail. 40 years. Eventually, a key piece of evidence was found and DNA was tested. The DNA was from other people. They eventually found the killer who did it. He'd been free the whole time. Netflix has a special on the Central Park Five. Five individuals confessed to a rape in Central Park and were convicted. Spent 12 years in jail. Someone else confessed to the crime and it was their DNA that was found on, on her body. No one else's. They served 12 years for someone else's crime. 
here, the servant is pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. That's you and me. And that's why Jesus is crushed and killed on the cross. The next two lines. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. Reminds you, poetry rhymes ideas. Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas, not sounds. So the punishment that brought us peace, by his wounds we are healed, similar ideas. Different way of saying it. That's kind of the beauty, beauty of Hebrew poetry. Notice the incongruity, the incompatibility of the ideas and terms. Punishment brings peace? How does that happen? Wounds bring healing? Normally we would say, no punishment, now we got peace. And taking care of the wounds brings healing. No, in this case, punishment of the servant brings us peace. Wounds bring us healing. I was going to pick on Brent. Brent's not here today. I'll have to use grace. Imagine, imagine if uh, I fell down and I hurt myself. My arm was hurting. I said, Grace, let me punch you in the arm so that my arm will feel better. <laughs> he would say, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Punching Grace in the arm is not going to help yours, not going to help mine. That's what this is talking about, right? Someone else is taking the punishment and the wounds, and yet we get the peace and we get the healing. Christianity in a nutshell, right there. The very center of Christianity is that our sins could never be paid for because we're finite. It would take us, it would take us an eternity to pay for our sins against an infinite God. So an infinite sacrifice is required. And Jesus Christ is that infinite sacrifice. The punishment that brings us peace is on him as he's on the cross. We get the peace with God. And as he is wounded and killed, we get the spiritual healing. And that spiritual healing will eventually result in our physical healing. Wounds to Jesus bring healing for our wounds. And the beautiful thing about this is that this is for all of us. No sins are too great for the infinite sacrifice of the Son of God. Let's go to the next slide. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. So the need is tremendous. It's all of us. All of us. Gone astray, each of us turned to his own way. It's a nice way to talk about our sin. How do we live our lives? We do what we want. It's the way of the world. People go their own way. The metaphor, the figure speech he uses is we're like sheep. Sheep get lost when they run from a predator. They don't know what to do. They just run. Philip Keller says that his sheep get lost because they see grass over there and they go over there and eat grass and they see grass over there, they go over here and eat grass. Next time they look up, they don't know where they are. 
They're lost. Just getting a little bit of green grass. But my favorite story is one that happened to me. Went to the Brigden Fair. And we went to the sheep pen. And uh, in the sheep pen, all the sheep were up against the fence, right where you could go and see them and touch them. I was there with my kids. They were very small. I was a little scared of the sheep because they kind of looked mean. And so I walked timidly over to the fence, but as I walked over to the fence, the sheep got scared. Maybe I walked a little too fast or something. And they all ran for the back of the pen. And they put their faces in the back corner of the pen. Well, one little sheep couldn't get into the back corner. So he jumped on the pile. And he walked across the top of the pile. And his, and his, little, his little feet were going on the heads of the other sheep until he got back into the back corner away from me. Because all that sheep was thinking about was, i got to get away from there, and I don't care who I step on to get there. Well, we are just like those sheep. We've all gone astray, and each of us have turned to our own way, looking after ourselves, taking care of ourselves, thinking about ourselves. Uh, that is, that, that is kind of like where sin, sin comes from. I'll do what I want to do. And I think of myself first. Well, notice what happens. How is it that my sin gets placed on the servant? God does it. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Behind all of these figures of speech, there's another figure of speech. And that is the servant is just like a sacrifice. Just like all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament where the, where the sheep and the goat would have to lose its life in order for sins to be paid for. Those were all just a picture of what was to come. And the servant is a sacrifice. And the Lord is laying on him our sin, our iniquity. This passage is not quoted in the New Testament. But it is what the New Testament is about. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. There is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely, declared righteous freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Notice four points of theology. Divine justice demands that sin be met with punishment. So the servant is punished. Number two, humanity suffers from total depravity. We're all like sheep and we've gone astray. The only remedy for sin, number three, the only remedy for sin is a vicarious atonement. I need someone to step in my place. And number four, God the Father makes the servant 
a vicarious atonement so that he suffers for my sin. Johnny Hart, the uh, cartoonist, wrote this little poem. When Mary had a little lamb, or Joseph was shocked and awed, his only option, it seemed, was adoption. So Joseph adopted the Lamb of God. And Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's great hope for you and for I here today. We will sit around this table and uh, we will partake of the bread, the broken bread symbolizing this broken, crushed body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will partake of the cup symbolizing the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is for our sin. The benefits to us are tremendous. But the benefits come through faith. By saying, I want Jesus Christ to pay for my sin. I want his sacrifice to cover me completely and to wash me clean. I want what Jesus did on the cross to be for me. It takes faith. You've got to embrace it, believe it, claim it, and then stand on it. And uh, we're going to do that today as we sit around this table. Remember what he did for us.